Hello, you hear it now. Right, you're blue then. You're blue. All right. Go back here. Don't worry about me, Rob. You just look at Agatha. She's much, much more made up and looks like she should have uh, attention paid. <laughs> Don't and just put all the pressure on me right now. Yeah, well, you know. You all know this is going in the podcast, don't you? And I've you? got a face for radio. There we go. Well, we all have, potentially. I think that's fine. Hello, my name's Sharon. Hello, my name is Agatha. And this is Taming Your Inner Artist. Now, we are super excited today to have with us a guest, Agatha. A special guest. A special guest. One and only, Dr. Robert Marston. Hello. Nice he- to be here. Hello. I was very excited to be here because I heard your trailer and it sounded <laughs> great fun. And you said, come along and talk about creative practice. And how could I not? As usual, we are incredibly well prepared. Agatha has got her pet spider to crawl across a notebook with her questions. And she said, just before we started this, could it be any clearer? And I will say now, Agatha, yes, it could genuinely be a lot clearer. But how we encouraged Rob to come here today is we lured him with a nice chat. And that's what we really are hoping we will have today. A nice chat about practices research. Probably a really good place to start for our listeners, Rob, would be just to sort of contextualise where you're coming from in terms of your background and your general approach to practice as research. And then Agatha can read her really well-constructed questions from her notepad. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm Rob Marsden. I'm a theatre director by trade, and that's how I began working in commercial and subsidised sectors in the United Kingdom, directing pantomimes and musical theatre and new plays, a lot of new writing, working with new writers on developing projects and dramaturgically structuring projects and so on and so forth. And then I I fell into academia, which led me into the, the... uh, to where I am at the moment, which is Head of Department for Media Performance Communication here at Staffordshire University, and in terms of researching. Um, so whilst I'm a theatre director by trade, I didn't have initially any inkling to come necessarily into higher education and research, um, although I've always been an educator in many different ways. I started to develop some work with students and undergraduate students about 15 years ago on the rehearsal room floor, And then I started to reverse engineer my academic career. Ah, I need to really think about learning and teaching. So taking on board a learning and teaching qualification, I think it would be very good to have my master's. And I did a work-based learning master's on directing in higher education because I was essentially directing students at the time. And I wanted to have some thinking around that. What is the difference between directing professionals versus directing students? Where are the similarities? So I did a work-based learning master's program that was available to me at the time through Middlesex looking at directing and lecturing, and then did my PhD, which was to do with practice. And I maybe we'll talk about this a bit more in a bit, but to consider whether I use my own practice or to use somebody else's practice. And there was a lot of thinking around that because I wanted to do something which was around rehearsal rooms. Rehearsal rooms in theatre are often closed doors. They're often locked. Nobody sees in. The blinds are always shut. And I wanted to demystify that process. A lot of my research is into demystifying the creative process that it it is work not magic as various practitioners have said Uh, this is a place of work and whilst there may be magical elements and they come in moments of wowness actually there's a series of things that that go on in the background as in any place of work to achieve a creative output so I was really interested in that because 
I was guest directing at a drama school in Manchester and a, a third year student who was going out into the creative industries went, ah, that's it. And I went, yeah, that's it. And then and she asked me, oh, well, why is that it? And I fumbled about for an answer. So this is about 15 years. I really fumbled about for an answer. I couldn't quite articulate in that moment why that was it. And that moment in a rehearsal room in Manchester made me reconsider my journey as a, both a practitioner but as a, as a researcher and as an academic. It started the journey into the PhD, started into considerations around practice as research, although I didn't know I was doing practice as research at the time, which is quite interesting. It wasn't a word or a phrase or a, or a practice that was mentioned very often. It led me down this route of balancing my freelance professional work with a research hat on and my work as a, as a manager and a leader within a higher education institute. But it was one moment that changed everything for me. For me, when I look back, when I reflect, and I know we're going to talk about reflection, when I reflect on my practice, it was that moment that changed my direction of travel, mean being inarticulate in a moment in a rehearsal room. That sounds fantastic. Now, unfortunately, none of my question is uh, useful because Rob has wonderfully answered all of them already. Is that it? Do we finish now? <laughs> we're, we're done. <laughs> Early tea. I'll, I'll just ask. So it's really interesting that you said it's on the verge of a nice chat. So it's really interesting that you said you were doing practices research, but didn't know you were doing practices research. Now, we've had a conversation in our first episode, and it's, it's something we've talked about off air, off mic before, is I've done practices research. I didn't know I was doing practices research. I think Agatha basically started sort of that journey to... Scratching my head. Yeah, thinking, going, what is that I'm doing? What am I doing? Why am, why am I here? How does this all relate? So it's really interesting that reverse engineering, and I think that's probably a name for another episode it might be is is very much something that a lot of people come to either through their creative art or through being sort of a theorist but they need to apply some practitioner status to what they're doing to make it work so there's two reverse engineers to get to this in between space that we keep talking and about and i think it might lead to a question uh, which might not be easy to answer. But I was wondering, when you work uh, on uh, you know, a piece of work, do you think about what you're doing as a piece of research? Or do you decide at the beginning, well, I'm just going to do it because I'm, I'm directing something and I'm just going to do it for the audiences? Or do you have to decide, well, actually, maybe I can, I can squeeze some research in? And... All of those things. So if you're commissioned as a freelance theatre director, your job is to direct art. You have to get that piece of theatre up on time, preferably on budget, for that audience, and that's not going away. It doesn't necessarily mean that all of my work as a researcher and as a creative thinker and as a creative practitioner doesn't inform that commercial, um, that commercial need to get the piece of art on. But the art is first and foremost in terms of that, of that work. But it is absolutely now, when I'm, I've just come and directed, uh, just come back off directing a, um, a commercial pantomime, the work that I'm doing as a researcher around pantomime has absolutely informed the decisions that I make on the rehearsal room floor, but I am making art. It doesn't have a research output to it. There are other times when I'm creating a, a piece which will be driven by the methodology and the research. And this is the shift, I think, from, being, from not knowing that you're doing practices research to doing practices research. Understanding the methodology that sits behind it is absolutely key. To reverse engineer that, you say, well, what is my methodology? What am I trying to find out? How am I going to go about 
data capturing? How am I going? Is it my own capturing my own data as an auto ethnographic researcher reflecting on my own practice? Am I looking at some in on somebody else's practice? Have I got a set of questions that I'm exploring along the way, or I'm hoping to answer? So. The, the tip for me is finding that person who's going to help you unlock what it means to be a practice-based researcher and helping you to find the methodological frameworks to get you to that point. You're doing the practice. Then wrapping around or threading through, however you want to describe it, the, the methodologies is the key because you don't lose your practice when you're doing practices research. But there may be projects that you do where you're taking away the, the worry of the art. You're taking away that kind of notion of cultural materialism where I've got to get this piece on in these four weeks for this budget. Actually, you might then take all of your practice and say, actually, I'm just going to get into a studio for four weeks. It will never have a public audience. I'm generating data. I'm generating, I'm exploring, I'm finding things out. I'm testing, testing the efficacy of, of certain things. And I think it's knowing what you're doing and when you're doing it. It's being consciously aware of those things for me when you're doing practices research. But it doesn't mean to say if you are working commercially as a theatre practitioner or as a, as a maker, as a filmmaker, whatever art form you're in, that you're not using your research to inform your art and your practice. That's key. They're not diametrically opposed. I think one of the myths that needs to be busted far and wide is that research sits to the left and, and, and practice sits to the right and there's this space in the middle that, that people and the people peer over that space and go hmm not sure what they're doing over the other side of there I'm a bit scared <laughs> of that oh look at them over on the other side what are they doing actually they can inform and enrich one another but it did take me a number of years to understand that to really come to that conclusion because I feel I don't know about the, the two of you in, in and rightly so in higher education in particular we attract a lot of people from industry and that's that's a good thing. And then it's about saying, actually, how do you, you are doing research? How do we help you to undertake research or to inform your practice through research? And actually, instead of it somehow um, uh, kind of bursting the bubble of the magic, all of that research actually informing, developing, sharpening your practice in many ways. I think there's a danger where people say, if I start doing X, Y will disappear. But again, it goes back to this is a place of work, not magic. The magic will not disappear. The work, and, in, and the work, your creative practice, your methodology, your how-to methodologies. I'm using Katie Mitchell's approach to make theatre. I'm using the McKendrick method to make film. Whatever you do, that that's not diametrically opposed to research methodologies. That's really fantastic. I have a question, though. Um, how would you respond to this idea of, which is quite uh, prevalent in uh, discussions with practice-based research these days, about legitimizing chaos and creative you know, creative chaos in the process. And I think this applies mostly to types of projects where methodology is at the very core of, of your investigations. So you're kind of looking at how you can do things before you know what this answer could be. And, and the, the experimentation takes the main uh, focus of, of, of your project. I think you have to embrace the chaotic Creativity is is chaotic. If I went in and I'm going to apply this certain methodology, I have no idea whether any of those results will bear fruit in terms of really dynamic, interesting scene between two actors. But it's the it's the it's 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 the chaotic. Um, it's the atoms, isn't it? Or, or it's the atom or moving and oscillating really quickly. It's about trying to find something that's going to hold that chaotic process and make sense of that chaotic process. Because even in, in the midst of all of that chaos, some form of process is taking place. 
uh, a director may say something to an actor or a DOP may say something. And there's a fear at times of saying that practices research suddenly takes away from, again, it's another piece of myth busting, I think, the chaotic nature of creativity. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you need it to be chaotic and you need it to collide and, and you need different opinions to come. That idea of I'm going to I'm going to blend two things together and I'm not quite sure what might come out of the blender, but I'm going to take X and I'm going to take Y. Let's put them on in that crucible of that space, that studio, and see what might happen. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but, but the chaos is really important for me. Yes, you, yes, you are. And I think it was a bit of a provocative question because I wanted to bring it back to the um, teaching context and ask you how do you think we can teach this chaotic approach, which is what we do when we supervise PhD candidates who are working with creative practice. So so I just wonder if you have any tips around that. I think it's encouraging. What we try and do as human beings is create order. We want to make order. We, we naturally want to create narratives, uh, make sense of the world around us, or we, we see we see faces in clouds because we, we as human beings, we're we're hardwired into into looking for order and, and procedure and, and recognized recognized things. And I think with any chaos there is a frame. There has to be an edge. And it's something that I'm really interested in as a creative practitioner. You can have the most chaotic of, of rehearsal conditions of, of, of making. Yet there has to be an edge. There has to, there has to be an edge, particularly if you're making art, if you are making art, there has to be an output on a certain date. You have to hit those deadlines. But you can have a really interesting process. And what practices research can do is support people to say, don't worry about the chaotic nature of the process. That is often the creative process. So almost flipping what we've been conditioned to consider since probably the age of four, particularly in the United Kingdom and and our educational processes, where it's around order, it's around knowledge, it's around being tested at four, seven, 11, 12, 14, 16, 18, and and even then through a lot of the undergraduate provision. And then suddenly you're asking people to consider, but actually there's this other way of working and it's legitimate and it's fine and it's fine. And sometimes you're working on instinct Kate Ross Manneth talks about this, and uh, I've mentioned this in other forums that you've both been involved with, this notion of rightness. There's a rightness here, but that rightness is built on, it's chaotic, it's that moment which I had in, in reflecting back on that moment in that rehearsal room. There was, a, there was a rightness in that moment. What I couldn't articulate at the time was people like Kate Ross Manneth and Gay McCauley and all those people from my field of theatre making who say trust the rightness because sitting underneath the rightness will be methodologies, will be frameworks, will be things supporting that moment for you in that moment to say that's right, that instinctive hunch is right. But to trust that that moment comes from looking at it through different lenses, looking through an energy in the room, it might be the temperature of the room even, that brings a set of conditions to the fore that means that those chaotic those chaotic bubbles suddenly then formulate and create something that feels right um, against the frame that you're working within. So you've got this frame that you work within as a rightness within the frame. I'm going to try and create a realistic piece of drama. It can be really chaotic. Ah, there's a realism here. It feels right. I believe it in the moment. It sits within the frame. It may be chaotic, but it's bound and it's guided by certain things, either implicitly or explicitly. Um, so, so encouraging PhD students, encouraging early career researchers to accept the chaotic nature of the process, that it's not diametrically opposed to having a really robust research methodology. 
I think that's really interesting because it's if we go to undergrad just for a second, so Bagata and I, we, and we're not, fo- we'll say this quickly, we're not focusing on the educational systems, but this is kind of an interesting thing because your wow moment came from teaching. I have been reading your book. I see that there's a procedure there to, the, to get to the wow moment. And we'll talk about that in a, a little while. But um, both Agatha and I at the moment are teaching experimental film. And that word experiment, how, how do you get people, students, actors, into the, into the zone to experiment? Because you've just been talking about, well, there's this frame and we're all trained to follow the rules. So we give our students rules when they start out with their camera and we say, you have to do this and this is a proper shot and diddly diddly dee. Then we go, Wah, experiment, go crazy. You've learned the basics, off you go. And a lot of people go, but no. So I, I'm, I'm presuming that, that theatre practitioners are a little bit more open to perhaps experimenting. But, but how, how do you push the experimentation? How do you get there? I think if we start with students, I think it's incumbent on us as academics and educationists to see it as a three-year journey. So where they've come from, which might be very ordered based on knowledge, based on, on testing and so on, how do we use the whole three years to shift to shift that or to say that yes there may be order and knowledge and understanding but over the process of the three years by the end you may be doing something uh, very to use that term experimental but actually does that come from a place of familiarity and these idea of these familiar archetypes but actually then we'll push the boundaries a little bit in the next module we'll push the boundaries again and it's also incumbent on us as educationalists and I know a lot of people who listen to these podcasts are our educationists and researchers and academic da, da, da. so so how do we build that into the assessment criteria that I'm, I'm actually marking openness to different approaches of working I'm going to mark the experiment itself and not the art I'm going to mark you on your approach to exploration rather than the end product which may be guided by a very very certain subjective aesthetic or um, an, an academic's personal way of thinking. Actually, no, we're going to mark you on process or we're going to, it's going to be, you may have an end product, but it's all continual assessment. We're going to base on process. So it's up to us to find the vehicles to support that because that doesn't happen naturally. We can't, in no way, I've, um, at any time can we ever can we ever say to the students why can't you experiment enough because because that's not the educational system that they may have come through so it's up to us during their time with us to help to to make those shifts but sometimes it's about being explicit it's about fronting fronting up to that and saying this is what we're doing so in a, in a, you mentioned about theater and actors and how do you how you might do that well actually you might have a research an R&D a research and development week um, or two weeks before you go into the rehearsal, or you're going to say, right, these three days are I'm going to I'm going to be in front. It's all about content and not form, and um, but but you have to set that out explicitly. It's about saying we're doing this because we want to explore X. Um, in one of my interviews is um, Kate Wasserberg, who is artistic director of, of Stockroom, a new writing and development company. She talks about danger week and, or danger runs and things that actually you may have got a form, but now we'll do the opposite. Right at the end of the process, we shake it all up again and we experiment with the blocking where people are on the mm-hmm. stage and the proxemics and so on. We work much more on impulse safely and ethically and so on. So actually it might be incumbent on us some part of the creative process right at the very end to free it up again. So it's still got that spirit of creativity. 
again, it's trying to demystify uh, the the Naki report in 1999. Um, uh, tried to for for schools um, uh, in particular tried to. Um, uh, set aside a definition of of creativity, and and it's got originality as part of that definition of value for a purpose. And it's got to be of value. It's got to be of purpose. But it also has to be original. But when they unpack originality, it's very much around. It's not about the earth shatteringly new. And again, that's why opening new doors, different ways of thinking, not worrying about it. It's about that idea of layers, possibilities, what tool might I use to tell the story in this particular way at this particular time. I think that idea of, of a small bit and you don't necessarily know where you're going and then yeah, that's that's practice as research. But it's, I think people worry they don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that's fine because, again, it goes back to what's... Tara uh, Bravasan et al. talk about when I was just revisiting, uh, uh, looking at this text on the table here, the first page that I opened up on was it saying you're creating research, not art. And that's why you asked me that question earlier. Am I going into um, my practice sometimes thinking about that? No, but it's underpinning. But I know I'm creating a piece of art. In a PhD, or if you're in a studio and you've got a studio for several weeks or you're creating a piece of work that maybe only a handful of people will see the research should be guiding you not the commercial viability of the output or thinking in a theatre context Michael Billington's going to come and review you from the Guardian that's not the purpose of it the purpose is to ask the questions, to test out things, to do, to develop ideas, and if it doesn't work uh, uh, against the, the the questions that you've set, it, it it might not, but it might suddenly take you down a different cul-de-sac altogether or a different road altogether. And it's about possibility generation. So yeah, it's around, but it is a mindset shift. All of this, and it's not easy sometimes. And I can see why pe- people, particularly early career researchers who may have come from industry, getting quite fearful of. About this, particularly if it's hardwired in you mm. to create an output, mm. to create the art, and not not to get into the the guts of the research. And actually, it's fine if that output is really messy, potentially clunky. But actually, it might have opened up different sets of research questions for the future, yeah. or even if it's not resolved within that piece of research. And that's really important that one piece of research doesn't have to be closed off neatly. I think that's another myth-busting thing that I'm always talking to people about. If at the very end of your research, your conclusion is there's a whole new other piece of research out there, isn't that great? That's a good research, yeah. yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that great? And people go, that's not my app. No, that that is. And maybe yeah. you drive that next piece of research and that's fine as well. But you come to that conclusion through through this because you're you're engaged in questioning, exploring and developing. Which yeah. I think brings us back to the question of uh, reflexive element in practice, which we started this interview. Interview. Ah. <laughs> chat. It's, it's a chat. nice Chatty chat. interview. Um, and I think it's really important because this is when you can reevaluate what is the importance and the direction you're going to. And I think f- for me personally, I, I would be curious to, to hear if, if any of you agrees with me or not. I, I like to think about practice as research as a form of conceptual art. And the reason I like to think about it because it's driven by some kind of concepts which you then explore through your practice. So I see some parallelism over there. But obviously, in order to know what you're doing and which direction you're going, you need to have this reflective element. And as a practitioner, even if you're engaged in research or not, as a practitioner, you, you practitioners worth their salt will be doing that. So 
So, for example, just go back to the, the recent commercial theatre piece I've directed. I've already locked in to, I've got a little notebook, and I, I write down things I always will do differently next time. So it's a bit like uh, uh, giving you, you know that um, that reflection on action as, uh, to go back to the 1980s and Sean and so on. But to 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 reflect after the event is really important. So I always keep a little bit of research. Actually, the pace there's a rightness to the pace this year that I haven't quite I haven't always achieved. So I'm I'm, I'm capturing that in the moment. So that's just what I'm doing as a practitioner. Then. I'm interested in doing a piece of practices research around that. I've already laid the foundations for a potential piece of research, whether it's uh, it's an output or it's... I'm going to do that anyway. So how might I engage now in methodologies to test that out? Why does that feel right? Do I need to do some um, audience, audience studies work to capture that? Is it right for me or is it right for the audiences? But the methodologies that the practice research can give you can support your next step. But to be reflective after the event is is what you what what really decent good practitioners do um anyway so again to take the fear out of practices research how do i then work with a mentor potentially in an institution or externally to an institution to then wrap that up in a different way and to think differently about the next stages yeah, and I think this mentorship, uh, we go back to this in this podcast quite often, it really is about giving someone this kind of sense of reassurance, really. It's okay for it to be chaotic. You will have this framework you've mentioned before, which I think is really important because then no matter how chaotic you got, there is there is a boundary uh, and you know what you're doing and then have a confidence of, of have this cycle of practice, uh, you know, reflection on methodologies, being informed by existing context and theories mm. as well and then repeating that cycle over and over and over again until you reach your, your goal really I think this is our role very much uh, lies in this uh, giving people sense of confidence well that's how it is it might feel uh, like you don't know what you're doing at the beginning and that's what it is at the beginning but you're going the right direction and, and for me that's why a pilot study is always absolutely crucial in, in potentially for a PhD candidate. Well, let's test that out. Let's have a couple of days in a safe environment. Maybe it's in within the institution or external to the institution where you can test out your methods and your methodologies. So that I, I think I'm going to do an observational piece in, on X. I'm going to get into a space. I might do that in a very soft way over two days to test that out because I'm going to be repeating that day after day after day. But why I think sometimes pilot studies are really valuable for a practices researcher is because there may be a gem or some piece of gold on day one of your form when your formal research begins in inverted commas. So what do I mean by that? What you don't want to be doing is, is let's say you're doing uh, ethnography I, I use a lot of going in and watching other people's work observing it reflecting on it triangulating that with other with other with other things but what happens if i'm spending the first 2 days of say an ethnographic observation of a rehearsal room testing out my research methods what if i don't capture the gold dust that's that's suddenly in front of me on day 1 at 10am I'm, I'm i'm faffing about with my methods and i'm, I'm not sure and oh gosh i haven't captured that or i didn't record this or the pilot will give you the confidence in chaotic, immersive situations of, of, say, a creative crucible of a space to have confidence in your methods to capture the data that you'll need. And that goes on for your own practice as well. If you're doing your own practice, how am I going to capture this? Is it? There's a lot 
now written about video and audio recordings, about the ethics of it, around the, the pros and the cons. So sometimes you might need to test those things out before you're then in a room for, for two weeks. Because what if you lost something really mm, crucial in the first two days? Do it. Protect yourself. Test things. That will give you the confidence. You're talking about confidence. That will give you the confidence to say, this is my methodology. These are my methods. From day one, I'm in the studio, but I know I'm capturing the data in an appropriate way for me. So in all this chaos, when I'm creating on the studio floor, in my case, that I know I'm going to have really concrete data that I can come back to analyse in order for, hopefully, then a strong a yeah. strong output. And I think, again, going back to our early education, we really, uh, the way we learn or the way we're being taught is that we mimic things. So we, we observe what other people do and we want to have examples. But this but this might also come back to your point, Sharon, mm. that, yes, it's, it, again, it's hardwired in us. The child who who repeats and repeats you. That's the kind of inbuilt. But that's why it's really incumbent on us is that we are going to be part of this journey with you. Yes, my role is exactly. to mm, is yeah. to, to to educate for want of a better expression and to mark. But actually, I'm going to model model the experiment with you. If you're either directing or you're making Absolutely. work with them, or or you're in a studio for a day, let's all explore this together. I've got some some knowledge and skills. You've got you've got an openness of approach. Let's come together. But I'm going to be open as well if I'm in, if I'm leading that session to explore with you and to maybe reject my plan. Uh, that uh, uh, well, after the break, we, we've uh, this, uh, let's come back and explore X because because there's three of you in the space. Let's see what happens there if we keep down this path. So it's up to us as creative practitioners, but also as academics who work in the creative arts to model that where we can in the spaces, in the classrooms, the studios and the rehearsal rooms. Absolutely. In, in a recent seminar, one of the seminars we do, we, uh, our great guest who's going to be in this podcast, Eric Nelson, oh, he Eric. said to be courageous. That was his that was his main takeaway from, from the talk. He was actually talking about impact in creative practice research. And I'm going to ask you a question about but that. You, but you, you, yes, you... Absolutely, I applaud that 110. percent So it's about make it's about bringing everything together, isn't it? Yeah, it's done everywhere across the board on every level that we've got agency. Yeah, I think within. that's that's part of it, isn't it? Making a sort of I, I say this, it's a safe space. So it's a safe space to I don't like the F word to find challenges. You know, Rob knows Didn't I know I, I love the the good F word, but <laughs> but the people talk about oh don't be afraid to fail, but people hear the word fail and they go oh my oh fail. That's no, a really, really bad thing. And it's, but it's part of the journey of having a safe space. And it's the same at any creative level. It's the same in theatre. It's the same in film. Obviously, there are monetary aspects to that that you have to kind of take into account. And, and I'm, I'm burning tape or I'm burning, you know, film. But there is that opportunity to experiment, but to also face challenges, to find solutions and, and do it in this safe environment but also with a mentor or your mm. supervisor or your lecturer to to be the person who can go that's okay yeah what did you get from that oh you got that absolutely and that also happens in the industry i'm just thinking about a rehearsal two weeks ago with a professional actor in the rehearsal room i had one idea the actor had another idea we tried both his worked mine didn't yep. best idea wins <laughs> you move forward. You've experimented. You tried. Yeah. That, that, there's a rightness to your yeah. to your approach. Um, let's do that. But again, you've got to be. You've got to even within short time 
periods and where you're bound by time, you can still have moments of genuine exploration and discovery within that as well. I remember the film I did in Colombia, I remember when I got there, I realized that I cannot make the film I wanted to make. And my plan was to make a film about the fact I cannot make the film I wanted to make. (laughs) Another thing happened, but I think we go back here to this idea of being reflective and how failures, for the lack of better words, I don't think they're failures really I think they're extremely important and and, uh, valuable pieces of experience really but they are once you apply your reflective you know uh, attitude here extremely extremely uh, useful and and the failure may be nobody sets out in a moment to fail in in that way You're, you're, you're setting out to explore it's and the failure is coming out of um uh by 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 whom or whose judgment are you failing exactly. and this is this is really key here that actually there's just a choice and sometimes there are more appropriate choices or more useful choices or more useful or cr- dynamic outcomes in that one that, in that example that i spoke about we could have gone with my idea it would have worked mm. but on reflection it, that idea was best and so it was more it was more appropriate it was more dynamic and it had the payoff required for the audience for the laughter yes. in that moment yeah. but i i don't see that as a failure where sometimes one of the culture shifts you have to make is someone going they didn't go with my idea and failed actually no that was an interesting idea and actually it snowballed into something slightly different over here um, and therefore, for the good of the project overall, it's a success. But that little moment of failure in that moment actually opened another little window over here where you have a collective success. And collaboration and collective responsibility is really key here. That's why I always say as a theatre director, just, just mention it there, that the best idea wins. Yeah, no, Not absolutely. my idea, just because I've got the title of director yeah. in the space. Yeah, but it's that collaborative process isn't it it's and i think again people forget that it's something when when you set out on your your piece of research it's yours but but there will be well you know it's yours yours mine uh, precious um <laughs> but it it evolves into something else we we have a student whose work is it has evolved it's evolved into an interdisciplinary approach it's it's involving other people's kind of contributions and that's redirecting the work and i think sometimes people forget that it's they had the idea but it it's not necessarily just going to be them yes. forever in a room on their own making it happen yeah when we speak i'm gonna use the word for one last time and we forget about it failure i don't think again it's a failure because failure the definition depends on your expectations so who sets this expectation is it you is it me is it all three of us as a collective so going back to your example rob again is like who set the criteria for what failure is in this case it is something you try and, and continue evolving and continue developing but I, I think we have to be very careful using this kind of vocabulary like failure because of course it has a negative connotation which really shouldn't be applied to it so I think for me it's a very exciting creative exploration as you said and that's the difference isn't it between that that positive uh, that outcome which is uh, I, I, that's the outcome I'm going to get to, um, and I'm going to do everything in my in my power to get that output, rather than starting with content, and and the form emerging later, starting with content and seeing where where it might take you. Exactly. But it, and it is a collaborative process, and and interestingly, even with my work, sometimes you're 
you uh, as a researcher where you it is it is your research question and it's your driving but those participants who are potentially making other work or working with you in the rehearsal room they're your co-researchers they're your co-participants in that creative endeavor whether that's a bound piece of research an r&d piece of research in a in a studio or you're doing something or you're observing or you're working with other people on another project they become your co-researchers and it's making sure that um, morally, ethically, that they are they are considered as such, that they are treated as such, that they are rewarded as such. They're part and parcel of 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 your work and your output. Yeah. So we've mentioned the word impact, and I wouldn't like to make it too academic again, but be- because <laughs> because you've you're thinking it. ref, aren't you? Well, I no. am. Yes, Ugh. I am. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, like through many discussions we've been having collectively and, and, and outside of here, I know that obviously uh, this might be one point which actually does differ significantly when you talk about your work as a, as a creative person, as a director or as an academic, because obviously the way you would uh, trace and, and evidence your impact for academic purposes would be going slightly beyond the actual piece of work you're doing. I wonder if you'd like to reflect on that. And that's where I think getting the appropriate um, methodology in place is really key from the outset. So, for example, I know a colleague of mine has reached out to you about saying, if I'm going to use this piece of work as a piece of research, what methodologies might I need to do right from the beginning of this piece of research to make sure that I have the data required that could pot- has the potential for an impact case study or a referable output uh, that might have impact in, in that. But impact... For me, there are so many layers to impact, aren't there? You may be you may be impacting your sector, your your you may be impacting your field in a certain way that may not have a referable output, but you may just have a referable output that's read by five academics um, uh, as well. So it's not for me. It's sometimes letting the research drive itself. Where 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 is it going to be absolutely of most use? If we think that actually that's going to be of most use to all of the theatre academics in the UK, I'm going to find an appropriate journal to write that up in to get the most impact. Where do I think that's of most use? Well, actually, it might be in the creative industries. So how do I find symposiums? How do I curate one with creative guests and industries? How might I get that out through podcasts? Where might I use the impact? of most use for that piece of research. If it's really going to move and shake, then then how are you going to find the right output? But in order to get the data to do that, it's got to be right at the very beginning. That's why pilot studies are really important. Knowing your methodology is really important. It's possible, but it's very difficult to reverse engineer because you may not have the data sets. If I need to do some audience data collection in theatre, I've got to know what questions I'm asking right from the dot, not oh, gosh, I'm g- in the last week I'm going to have to think about some questions to ask the audience. No, well, A, A F probably won't get through the ethics panel in, in time. <laughs> but but B, most importantly, you're, you're not using the time appropriately and the methodologies appropriately to get that rich data set that you'll need for, for what hopefully will be impactful. Also, if it doesn't work, you've got to get that message out. You're talking about... You're talking about things that don't necessarily work, but actually, let's share those processes as well. There's sometimes a fear of sharing um, an experiment that that didn't quite go in the way that was anticipated. But actually, let's share that because someone else might pick that up. Or there may be some very salient conclusions that come out as a result of that. Maybe we should never uh, mix rehearsal methodology X with rehearsal methodology Y. It doesn't 
work for whatever reason. There isn't a rightness to it. We've tried it. Let's get that message out there. If someone wants to pick that up in a different capacity, so that maybe that doesn't work on text-based theatre, but there might be some people out there working in devised and site-specific theatre or um, live art who might go, actually, it might work in our in our sector, this is where there's always grist to the mill. So even if it doesn't quite work for you in whatever way, let's still write that up. Let's still share that because the impact, the, the, the impact might be not what you expected. The impact might be someone else picks it up in a, in a slightly different area in your field and runs with it. And it might have legs there and it might develop into something else there. So sharing sharing all, all results is vital. I think it's a fantastic comment and I couldn't agree more with you, Rob, here, because I think, especially in kind of sciences, people really don't like sharing negative mm. results. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you that there's huge value again in, in seeing that something doesn't work because it prevents people from wasting yeah. their time. Let's not, you know, just... just or or just adapting in a different... I'm going to test that out, test the efficacy of that out over yeah. here and see yeah. what might, where it might take and us. It's really... And that's why, in the example I've given, I wanted to make that film about the film that I couldn't make, really. Uh, so, so I think there's a huge value in this. So if we were to just... Interesting. I was listening to um, the, the, the Coming Storm. It's a podcast on Radio 4 about uh, QAnon in, in the States, without getting too heavy <laughs> for a moment. But I remember the, the journalist saying, it's this, this started off as X and ended up as Y, yep. but I allowed the process of me making this work, of investigating this material, obviously that's from a journalistic perspective, to allow me to take, to take it on this journey and to be open to the possibility of that, rather than trying to keep shoehorning back yep. into a predetermined uh, way of working. And that was your answer also in relation to impact and I really like it because what it means is that every pro project is very different and some projects will have you know, really great potential for a very specific academic impact. Some projects will serve a completely different purpose and it's absolutely fine and the reason I'm bringing this, this back because effectively the reason we're doing this podcast and we've discussed it in a previous episode we kind of want to help and encourage people who want to get into practice as research and this is a great example this is a great uh, I think um, advice for them is just don't necessarily be afraid of having to do things exactly the same way like in a project you've seen there's many different ways there's many different approaches there's many different things you can consider and and they will be different. They will be they will be creatively. And this is why into a multi transdisciplinarity is vital because actually, oh gosh, I didn't realise that was happening in film studies. Let's mm -hmm. let's see what happens if we start to apply that to theatre making or vice versa. I, I went to a conference recently, and there was a theatre maker in in New, uh, a filmmaker in New York who was experimenting with a very theatrical based rehearsal methodology, but taking it through the lens of what happens if we apply that not to the actor in the space but to the camera. What if the camera? It's not. A, it's not a camera operator. They're they're part and parcel of the genuine dynamic, as if they were two actors. Started to bring rehearsal techniques, theatre techniques, into filmmaking, and seeing where that might uh, it might take him. So yeah. Um, so I'm also encouraging people to think outside of their discipline. I know that's quite scary to begin with because you think I'm a theatre maker, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a music maker, but actually go to different conferences go to multidisciplinary conferences because actually then you might see that something that's applied in another area can be really useful for your field or hasn't been employed in your field yet and that might take you off on a different tangent again that I sounds fantastic I was going to say just off the back of that so I, I, I dabble I dabble with death studies um, as we all know obviously but something in terms of what you were talking about in terms of, of sort of sharing a journey that maybe didn't come out with the outcome that you were hoping it would but actually sharing that with people 
in terms of, of practitioners in different disciplines, but also practitioners in disciplines that, say, I admire or I think very highly of, um, hearing them talk about things that haven't gone very well or that they have also had a three-year wait for a piece to be published or whatever it might be. It's actually still, it's really inspiring and very comforting if we go back to that idea of being sort of the person who's saying it's okay. We all need that it's okay and it might come from you saying, well, I tried this and I'm going to say it didn't work (laughs) and it was awful, but that's okay because someone will be able to take that forwards not necessarily use yeah. your data even but just oh my god he he didn't manage it either often you'll see the end result of something actually there's been three publishers rejections or there's a people see the shiny stuff because that's what we put on on our instagram and our, on our linkedin because that is how we we, yeah. we operate um but actually maybe we should share actually i've been rejected for that uh, that publication a little bit more often or share where things have gone wrong i remember um uh, not gone wrong. Uh, where we've where we've had real pushback. I, I always share my story of of um, uh, of book proposals and uh, two very glowing book proposals, and the third was that's really challenged and questioned. And I thought, oh gosh, uh, my my first thing was to see the negative, and actually, it became the most helpful suggestion ever. It was the most difficult to wade through, yeah. and the most challenging to respond to because it really made me consider um, uh, notions of what it means to uh, to respond to to respond to so many societal um, uh, challenges and uh, at the moment. But as a result of going through all of that, that probably sharpened the end result considerably. And whoever that person is out there, you don't realise how much you changed my my research. <laughs> but but um, we, we should be sharing that actually uh, things that seem challenging in terms of feedback, we ask our students to accept feedback all the time. Yes. We should um, actually some of that most challenging feedback, peer review feedback, can be the most enlightening and can take you on a really interesting journey. But we don't share that very often. We share that, oh, look at, look at my shiny, really nice review that I've had. Let me, let me open up this one here and yeah. show, you, show you all, all this one as well, because that difficult one that's seemingly problematic is actually the most useful and the most helpful. Yeah, and, that's, and on, it was on Twitter that this um, woman shared her, her sort of, look, I've, I've just won an award for this. Here's the background. <laughs> <laughs> it, it went through three, three different sort of iterations, etc. And it, it feels like that's for me, incredibly important because it, it's not about laughing at someone else not achieving. It is just saying, oh, you know what? It's not as easy as it maybe yep. initially looks when you see what I'm look doing. At, look at this 90% of the iceberg underneath yes. here that's, yeah. that's uh, achieved this output yeah. here. And I think the I think culture is shifting in, in research and academia. Much more, There's much more openness at numerous conferences that I've been to recently. Um, there's been much more of an openness, a real willingness to support early career and mid-career academic to make the, the, the leap to the next stage to support the PhD candidates in a way that probably didn't happen 10 years ago. So there's a lot of uh, positive uh, movements happening at the moment to really support research and practices research now is now is at the table with other, other methodologies and approaches. Um, it, can, it can only go further. Can I just ask you, Rob, one last thing to kind of really leave us with a kind of very positive accent. If there was one piece of advice you would give uh, to someone who thinks about going into academia or going into practice as research, what would that one piece of advice be? 
so for those that may be in academia and interested in going into practices research, just try it. Don't block yourself saying, my practice doesn't have a research capability or possibility. Just be open chat to people, e- email you guys. I know you're really open <laughs> open internationally as well for, for those discussions. But um, it is just go for it. Don't put the self-blockers on. Try and knock that little voice off your shoulder that says, don't do it, it's not for you. Fantastic. Perfect. That's us. Thank you so much, Rob. It's it's genuinely been really inspiring. I'm loving reading your book. We'll put the um, information about your book, if it's okay with you, on this podcast. So More that, than okay. So that I'll everyone can obviously pennies. rush out and buy it, obviously. <laughs> um, beyond that, just a big thank you for taking time out of what is a really busy time of year and a really busy schedule. We've really enjoyed the chat, I think. Thank you so much, Rob. It was absolutely fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So from us... It's goodbye from Taming Your Inner Artist. And see you soon, or rather hear you soon, or rather whatever. Transmit soon. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.